Speedrex started in kind of when the whole cocktail scene was really revving up, you know. I started working with Zacapa in 2008. I had new account lists and had to go see new bars. And that led me to meeting all of these incredible women who were bartending in these places. And I was like, who are they? They're so good and I don't know who they are. And why don't I know who they are? Because media was going towards like, oh, the mustachioed bartender. And that's not what we were. Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast, Bar Chat. This is Tristan Stevenson. Today, I'm speaking with Lynette Marrero. Lynette is a New York-based bartender and consultant, former Zacapa ambassador, and the founder of the women-only bartender competition, Speed Rack. On this episode, Lynette talks to me about her career so far, the founding of Speed Rack with her co-conspirator Ivy Mix, her starring in the masterclass video tutorials on mixology, which you might have seen on social media, her approach to developing cocktails and bar teams, her general approach to skills and training, and much, much more. Lynette is a superstar of the bar world, and a great pal too. She's also an ex-Broadway star, and that comes across in her skills as an orator too. You can't fail to enjoy listening to her speak. So, without further ado, let's listen to her speak. Okay, I am here with Lynette Marrero. Hi Lynette, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? <laughs> it's good to see you. Good, thanks. All the better for speaking to you. Yeah. Cool, so we are going to start you off with some quickfire questions. Uh, question one. Beer or wine? Wine. Favorite ice cream flavor? Strawberry. Martini or Manhattan? Martini. Hmm. When people stand up for a standing ovation, are you usually one of the earlier people to stand up or one of the later? First one. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one that starts it off. Mezcal or tequila? Mezcal. How would you rate your karaoke skills on a scale of one to Mariah Carey? Mariah Carey. <laughs> Finally, black beans or refried beans in your burrito? Black beans. Very controversial questions there. <laughs> Choose your beans. I think both? they're very telling some of your answers. <laughs> Strawberry ice cream is an interesting one. Um, I mean, it's a popular flavor, obviously, but not on, I don't know if it's most people's favorite, but that's an interesting one. It's a childhood thing from like the Napolitan ice creams that would come in mm. the container, you know, that have the strawberry, the chocolate, yeah. and the vanilla. Yeah, well, three and flavors. So I just yeah. went straight for the strawberry. I think it, it reminds me of its comfort. <laughs> I saw a um, meme thing going around the other day where someone had taken three tubs of Neapolitan and they chopped each of the flavors out and then repackaged them so that one tub was just chocolate, one was vanilla and one was strawberry. <laughs> I don't know what the purpose of this was, but it did make to, me chuckle. To just, uh, it's a good uh, thing to do on your siblings. Like it's a good uh, trick. <laughs> yeah, a good trick to play. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Cool, um, all right, well, let's start from the start, if you don't mind. Perhaps you can give us a sort of potted history of your career in the industry, just for any listeners who are not aware of you. Sure. Um, so I kind of have a classic New York story. You know, this is the place where people come to make their dreams happen. Um, I was born here. I'm the child of Puerto Rican immigrants who came here. I'm a New Yorican, so that is a very specific type of Puerto Rican who's born in New York and has its own sort of culture. Um, I went to university here and uh, was 
pursuing a big Broadway career. So that's why my Mariah Carey skills on the karaoke. Um, and at that time, I refused oh, you to be joking the about that. Oh, I was not joking. <laughs> it's usually Dolly Parton is my warm-up song, and then I go into a little bit of Hearts All Alone, Mariah at the end. Um, but I... I need to see this pro- at some point in the future. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to have... Well, London Cocktail Week, if you're listening, have a great karaoke party this year, and we'll all come out and have fun. Um, but for me, you know, New York was especially starting out when I started my career in the early 2000s here. You know, if you worked in hospitality, the question was always, what else do you do? Um, and I was very anti that sentiment. I was like, well, you know, there's lots of jobs I can do without someone always asking me what I really want to do. So I was doing more office work, working as a temp, you know, basically everyone I graduated Columbia University with was, you know, in their finance world and I'm booking their flights and answering their telephones. Um, but you know, that's, that's okay. That's what I was doing. I was pursuing my dream. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was actually out of town from New York doing an out of town pre-Broadway show uh, during 9-11. And that happened. And, you know, the whole cast was together. And after that event, I decided I was never working in an office building again. And I better figure out how to basically wait tables uh, to to survive. So I walked into a wine bar um, in the Lower East Side and... You know, I didn't really have much experience, but I had a good personality and I knew how to hustle. And so the interview questions, they kept they kept it real easy. They're like, name three grape varietals. And in my head, I'm like, oh, well, I, I like drinking Merlot being, yeah, you know, I when I drink white, I like, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, boom. And I'm like, yeah, you know, sometimes I like a light red, like Pinot Noir, done. So I just answer these questions. I get the job and it was a really impactful place for me. You know, it was an interesting time in New York. A lot of new restaurants are opening. I was right down the block from um, Wiley Dufresne, who does a lot of really crazy things with his food. Uh, WD-50 was just about to open. So I met a bunch of interesting characters in the culinary world. From there, I moved on to working at a martini lounge. So just for everyone out there, a martini encompassed at this time everything from key lime pie to your regular chocolate mm-hmm. martini, maybe your white chocolate martini, or if you're crazy, like having Neapolitan ice cream, you're going to have a half and half choc- white chocolate <laughs> and chocolate martini. Godiva was a big one then at the time, like just going for it. So it was kind of this idea of like, you know, after work crowd, but still I loved it. I met a bartender there named Amber and she was like, I think you could pick this up. You seem, you know, you, you, you taste the drinks, you have a palate. So she started kind of casually training me behind the bar um, every Thursday night. And then when we would close up, we closed up a little bit earlier. This new bar had opened just cross town from us and it was the Flatiron Lounge. And she and I would go there every mm. Thursday night when we closed up at two to catch the last two to four, our last drink before we went home. And at that time, Julie Reiner, her wife, Susan Fedroff, and their other partner, Michelle Connolly, they had just opened and they were working the bar. So I walked down this beautiful, you know, at like the Flutter and Lounge, the entrance way was just incredible. 1920s, this beautiful place. And you walk in, you're like, whoa, I'm being transported. And then I get to the bar and there's these three very tall, impressive women behind the bar and they are making these cocktails and they're beautiful and they're using natural juice and they're colorful, you know, bringing a lot of Julie's um, time in Hawaii and that vibe. And it was the first time I'd seen fresh juice, fresh drinks in this beautiful way. And I was like, wow, this is what they can be. This is where I want to work. So I pretty much uh, stalked Julie for about a year to get a job. We'd go in every week. I'd be like, hi, I'm Lynette. I'm going to work here someday. And they're like, okay, sure. Um, so I finally got a, a job there. I started as a 
as a server. And at this time, you know, people who were working there were people like Phil Ward, um, who was very big uh, here in New York, opened My Well, like really on the forefront. He worked at Pegu Club. My Well really bringing uh, tequila mezcal drinks here to New York in a big way, Death & Company. Uh, he had started there as a as a busser and was now bartending. Katie Stipe was behind the bar. Like there was just all these people who would end up, you know, really for us, for New York, shaping what cocktail culture was going to be. And we were just all there uh, working at this bar. And basically at the time as well, we were all willing to work harder and make less money. You know, we were shaking with the big cubes of ice for the first time. And I was like, oh man, we were using Boston shakers at the time. So glass on tin, which with those heavy cubes was really a challenge. I was like a game changer when we all started using tin on tin. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I'm not Mm. lifting this heavy, warm after washing thing and then shaking my arm off to get it cold. But we were all committed to Mm. elevating this drink and cocktail world. Um, From there, I started working um, in restaurant bars. So to pick up more shifts and start to get behind the bar, um, you know, Julie eventually promoted me. um, But I also started working at a place called Freeman's, um, which is an iconic, still there, Lower East Side restaurant that kind of brought the whole like um, gastropub sort of idea. But they what they were doing was high volume, good cocktails in a restaurant environment. And I loved that. Uh, I'm very much an at-home cook. I love flavors and combinations, and I kind of found this great calling um, in restaurant bars because I like the tempo. I like the idea of challenging myself to get them a great cocktail to start, take them through a menu, kind of you know direct their experience, bring them back, maybe a little bit of wine here, and then bring cocktails back in. Um, and that definitely worked on my high volume skills. Uh, from there, I started working, um, consulting on restaurant bars and really elevating those programs until I started working um, for Diageo for a couple of years as their Zacapa ambassador and introducing Zacapa to New York. It was kind of re- relaunching. I uh, did that for a couple of years and then I just came, went back to consulting, working on bars and restaurants. And during that time, I met Ivy Mix and I was doing a lot of recruitment work um, to unify the women in the craft cocktail scene. Um, which I have to thank to Zacapa for that. Um, and I started doing events, and that kind of led to the creation of Speed Rack, uh, which is an all-women's bartending competition globally that raises money for breast cancer research and education. Um, and now I I continue that journey working with restaurant bars um, and, yeah, working with two restaurants in New York, approving restaurants, Llama Inn and Llama San. So kind of a lot of things going on. I have lots of little projects. <laughs> nice. So how um, is has the scene recovered in New York sort of post-pandemic? I mean, we're not really post... I don't know what it's like over yeah. there, but it's not really post-pandemic. We're not talking about it so much anymore, but it's still kind of knocking around, you know? <laughs> how's, the, how's the how's hospitality scene in New York? So it's it's gone its ups and downs, its waves. Um, you know, New York City itself, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I just had a friend come from San Francisco, so I can actually now see it kind of in juxtaposition to another big cocktail city. Um, New York, New York is resilient. New York, you know, no matter what people will always come here. Um, our, I think our proximity obviously to Europe makes, you know, tourism is so important for us and we're starting to see tourism come back, which is a big part of the scenario. Um, we just dropped our mask mandates, you know, which some people are still doing vaccine um, mandates. You know, we had very, it was ups and downs. I think, you know, just December for everybody, it was pretty much a bummer to lose all your uh, holiday bookings and your New Year's bookings. And it, you know, that month was kind of brutal, but everyone is coming back. You know, guests really want to be in the places that they love. You know, as much as we all did 
teaching them things digitally uh, for a good two years, the best part is, is that we didn't really teach them everything. Uh, we taught them enough, but now they're like, I don't really want to do this for myself all the time. You know, <laughs> so, so they were still coming back and they mm-hmm. want these experiences. Um, and so really our actually more elevated restaurant, I think, had like the quicker recovery, I think, for those special occasions. Our neighborhood restaurant took a little bit longer, but now we're seeing more and more people come around as people are going back to offices. Uh, that'll be more more offices that are kind of bringing their employees back more modified full time three to four days a week starting in the next couple of months. Um, so that'll, again, change the landscape of how maybe, you know, your martini lunches and things might happen as opposed to right now where it's it's mostly a out to dinner yeah and what about speed rack how did it how did the pandemic affect that and what's the sort of recovery i presumably you had a lot of events cancelled um so how's that gone yeah so we had i mean pretty much the world closed around us on our last event in new orleans in march 2020 um so we didn't program a, an official season 10 back the last year um just because to your point venues it was just you just didn't know and you know, the United States is uh, 50 countries all in one. And so when you're looking at uh, yeah. what regulations were in each place, it was nearly impossible. We ended up being able to uh, do an event actually in um, July 2021, thanks to the Silver Lion team and the Riggs Hotel in D.C. Um, they were able to give us their rooftop where we could open up windows and we did our last regional event of the official season nine. And then we had a national finals um, in September of 2021 where we were able to safely bring all the competitors to New York and do a national finals. And that felt really great. It was you know, reconnecting, having that energy. Sure, everyone was a little nervous, but you know, we had as much safety precautions as we could in place, um, and and it felt really, really, really good. I mean, things that we did prior to that event, and it took you know a year and a half to get two events up and running, was we really launched our mentorship program, which was just a way to one bring new uh, women into the Speed Rack family, and that was a global mentorship program, um, and and it just just brought up new connection points. We did some digital competitions, lots of education, and that kind of grew um, grew our platform. And then we just launched um, this past year um, a Lat- Latin American um, with our Speed Rack Mexico team mentorship program, which has really, really been very effective, very inspiring what, what they're doing. Um, and then this year, uh, we just did our first event of, of our new season 10 in Charleston with Food and Wine. Uh, we have a Puerto Rico event with Puerto Rico Cocktail Week in May. So that'll give us three competitors who are going to compete in the national finals at Tales of the Cocktail on Sunday, July 24th. So if you come into town, come early. Um, and the rest of it, we're going to launch this soon, but I'll give you a little sneak peek. We are doing a wild card round for the rest of the season where anyone in the past 10 years who made it to top eight but didn't win the prize can throw their hat in the ring for redemption. Uh, so it's going to be a whole digital online mm. competition. We're going to have past winners as coaches. I call it like Speed Rack meets The Voice. Uh, and then they're going to all be in New Orleans. So it's going to be a really fascinating uh, competition. I, I want to see the ones who like come from like season three or four who are like, I'm coming for it. <laughs> yeah, unfinished business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What, so um, can you describe exactly what the format of the competition is for anyone who's not sort of seen it before or, or watched the videos or whatever? 100%. So Speed Rack and kind of what I alluded to earlier of, you know, what the events I was doing was that, you know, Speed Rack started 
and kind of when the whole cocktail scene was really revving up, you know, um, I started working with Zacapa in 2008, um, and that challenged me to go to different bars and restaurants than were my normal routine. You know, you have your friends, you grow up with them in the cocktail world, you start visiting them at their bars, but I had new account lists and had to go see new bars. And that led me to meeting all of these incredible women um, who were bartending in these places and I was like who are they they're so good and I don't know who they are and why don't I know who they are um and I was like because media was going towards like oh the mustachioed bartender and that sort of vibe and Mm -hmm. that's not what we were but these women were incredibly accomplished fast good um you know the foundation that we think for everything is knowing your classics and and I kind of saw this a bit when I was traveling nationally uh you know there's certain places you know i think you know london culture too stems from you know all the people who brought back the drinks brought back classics right they dusted off these books and we started learning these these cocktails as a great foundation um and then from there we could learn to riff but sometimes these markets would not have that and all competitions at the time were like make your special like crazy cocktail but we're like but if you don't know what you're doing every night every friday night you know saturday night you are cranking out cocktails and you're serving entire floor and then four of your iconic people come in the bar and sit in service and you have to serve them while you're all serving the rest so we thought a classic cocktail competition um, with this idea of four drink rounds that you have to make for those guests who are coming in speed and accuracy so we put up the four drink round Um, We have two bars, the pink bar and the black bar. The competitors go head to head. They make that four drink round. They're delivered to the judges and then the judges evaluate those drinks and they add penalty seconds based on execution. So you can't just like, you know, throw everything in there, half shake everything, get a time of 40 seconds, give it to the judges and pass. Um, They'll be like, this is under diluted. Uh, You barely did anything with this and give penalty seconds, everything from zero of perfect score up to 30 seconds for a drink. If you basically put, you know, you're supposed to make a margarita, but you put scotch whiskey in it. Might be a delicious drink, but it wasn't what I asked for. (laughs) Sounds pretty tasty, actually. Um, (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Do they know what they're going to be making? Do they know what they're going to be making beforehand? Or are they drinks sort of chosen at random from a a batch of classic cocktails, like a a pool of classic cocktails? Yes. We give them a a Bible of around 50 cocktails based on the spirits categories. Hmm. Um, so if, you know, I think we, for a while, we were the reason people were making brainstorms all over the U.S. <laughs> when we had an Irish whiskey sponsor, no one's like, the brainstorm? <laughs> Where did this come out of? We're like, well, we need to find Irish whiskey cocktail classic. So you got the tipper, you got the brainstorm, let's keep going. Um, and so, yeah, they, they read those and they study. And what's been really great is kind of seeing how that has <clears throat> really you know we watch the the women practice and they're you know doing rounds in their bars and that's kind of helped become like a mentorship on its own um and that idea when we when we did it was just to kind of give these women exposure and it was great it's like speed rack season was like come it's like come find your bartenders because this is the place we're going to recruit talent and that was the mission always so it we're happy to see that that really uh did its thing. Uh, I think one of the best stories was when we did uh, Speed Rack uh, London Cocktail Week edition, and that we were at Spitalfields Market, that big market, and Ryan Chetty was judging, mm. and Ian was at the stand, and Kelsey Ramage had just moved to uh, London, and she had done Speed Rack uh, when we did Canada, and she had also done one in the U.S. when we allowed um, Vancouver to compete in Seattle, and we're just like, hey, just enter the competition. 
you want to meet people, this is a great way to meet people. And that's where she got her job working with uh, Trash Tiki. Like, that's where they all met. And I was like, there I you go. That's exactly that. what this I is meant to be. <laughs> One of our success stories. Yeah. <laughs> and she's doing great now, isn't she? Yeah, that's fantastic. She sure is. Cool. Um, I want to talk about Zacapa quickly, actually. Um, yeah. I, when I was doing a little bit of uh, digging on, on your past, I came across the fact that you're just a Capra ambassador. And I didn't know you'd done that. Um, but uh, I used, because I worked for Diageo for a short period as well and spent a bit of time working on Zacapa. Um, did you ever get out to Guatemala? I did. I was on the very first press trip uh, that we did uh, back in, I guess, 09. And um, what an experience. I mean, I love, I love Lorena. I am so happy I get to see her. I just saw her. We did a big Women's History Month uh, activation out in Los Angeles um, and working with, you know, a group that promotes uh, Guatemalan women artisans. Um, and just just being with her and learning from her for the past, I mean, at this point, what's that? It's a long time we've been working together. It's been um, an incredible experience. Like, I love when she gets out in a group with bartenders, um, when she talks about what she does, Um there's so much passion, there's so much artistry, but then there's also so much precision with her that uh, it's very, mm. very inspiring. And, and she's funny and uh, she loves food. Like she's, she's just an incredible human. And I think what she does is incredibly, um, it just, it's just really nuanced and she is the heart and soul of Zacapa. So. She's tireless as well, isn't she? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, she t she turns You've up seen to her all these events class. all like over the world. You're like keeping up with Lorena. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's just full of energy, and you know, it's because these things can be pretty tiring, you know, delivering these seminars and travel and all that kind of thing. And she's just always on point. Um, exactly. But yeah, I got out to Guatemala to do the Zacapa trip. Um, ironically, it was just after I'd left Diageo, but the bar, <laughs> bar that I owned at the time was getting through quite a lot of Zacapa. And so um, they, they offered to take us out there. I was on the same trip as Tim Phillips. Oh, nice. And we had so much fun. It's w one of the most memorable brand trips I've ever been on because, of course, they fly you around by helicopter, don't they? Because the roads there are just, <laughs> yeah. you know, a nightmare, basically. And you've got... There's quite a distance, isn't there, between the um, sugarcane fields and the maturation, where they mature and the distillery and and then Antigua which is where I think they tend to put people up mm -hmm. when they take them out there and yeah it was amazing we went up a volcano on some mules and oh, stuff wow. like that it was just an unbelievable trip I think yeah. it's what it shows is you I really know, like, to go back there. yeah and I, I love it because you know I've always felt um you know I always use uh rum and and scotch whiskey as as a like to compare it to each other I'm like there, there are two categories where I feel like where you are and where you're from and what part, you know, Scotland, it's it's different. Your terroir changes over one country. Um, but, you know, globally, rum changes from where it's from. And I and I really feel like when you go to Guatemala and you see the, the agriculture, you taste everything, like not many people know what Guatemalan food is. You know, it's very, it's very delicious, very flavorful, but it's not, you know, it, it, it gets stuck in this like Central America thing. Um, but you know, mm. you really understand the the culture of the brand when you're there and, and the people. And I feel like, you know, it's, you know, the, the flavors, all those things really just click, um, when you get to experience, uh, that. So I think that trip, uh, clearly it impacted me for the rest of my life and 
you know, and I've stayed, you know, even though I didn't, you know, I work with Zacapa now on a freelance basis. It's been that way for years. Um, you know, I work with them and do a lot now. Um, my role is more um, education um, for consumers, not as much trade education. Sometimes I do trade education um, for special events, things like that. Um, and just kind of really being a an advocate for the brand and working with, um, you know, I brought in a friend of mine, Chef Grace Ramirez. She works on the culinary side. I'm in the drink side. And Lorena and the three of us kind of just represent the brand uh, for, you know, what it brings. And it's it's just a great relationship. And, and I love that I get to have a part in it and no matter what. And that's that's what I like, the, the familial aspect um, of it. We've had Grace on the podcast, actually. In fact, I think she was on the same episode as another one of your co-conspirators, uh, Ryan Chetiwadana. Oh. Um, yeah, they both came on and we did a sort of foodie episode. Super I think it fun. was both of those two on the same episode. It was a good episode. Yeah, Grace, is, Grace yeah, is fun. I've known her for a long time. Um, and uh, she we actually found out her love of Zacapa um, at her wedding. And she was like, oh, I'd like to bring... I'm like, I'm going to make you some Zacapa drinks. She's like, oh, my goodness, I'm from Venezuela. And we, like, die over Zacapa. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um segueing to ryan you've been doing this uh master thing with him haven't you how did how did that how did that all happen man that was really it's pretty kind high of, profile isn't it it's, it was like very pretty, high pretty profile <laughs> i don't think ryan and i quite understood what it was when we were taping it you know i think we're both kind of like yeah yeah like you know hey did these people reach out to you yeah yeah what is it? i don't know it seems cool though let's just do it and um you know, I just get kind of a cold call uh, on LinkedIn, and this woman was like, I'm a recruiter for this thing, and I'm like, okay, send me the link, here's my email, we'll chat. Um, and I was opening a restaurant at the time, I was opening Lama San, so like, I was all over the place. I'm like, I'm in Israel, I'll be back next week, we're opening a restaurant, we'll find like two hours of time that I have. Um, so I met with her, and then she came to the restaurant, and they just wanted to chat with me about my what I thought about you know, cocktails, what I thought people needed to know. Um, it was a really fantastic experience, probably the most professional experience I've ever had. Um, at the time when we first started, um, once I kind of passed through their first screening and, and got our creative director, um, and he and I were chatting, um, you know, they told me, they're like, oh yeah, so we, we did, we got Ryan on board. I'm like, cool. And I'm like, well, okay, if you have Ryan doing what Ryan does, then I'm going to have to do a very different style. I'm like, you know, look, here's where I come from. Here's my, my background. I'm like, I have to start teaching people the basics. I need to teach them flavor combinations. I need to spearhead each chapter with classics and categories and styles of drinks so they at least understand how to put them together and then teach them kind of, you know, we all know the potato head theory of just swap out one ingredient, put another, boom, new drink. Now you impressed your mm. friends. Um, so I went very classic and then Ryan would do all the riffs. And originally, like I said, it was supposed to be two different classes. So we, it was kind of a crazy shooting. We shot it in December, 2019. And I had speed rack the, in San Francisco on Sunday, Ryan shot Monday. I flew in Monday to start shooting at 6 a.m. on Tuesday. I was exhausted, so my voice is a little more hoarse on Masterclass than it is now. Um, when people meet me, I'm like, I'm not quite as smoky as I was on, uh, on Masterclass. But we, we shot two different days, and then they did one day where we were going to did a little like a half-day shoot together, and that's where he and I just geeked out about food, and I learned so much about Ryan that I've known Ryan for years, but I didn't know his mom was a chef. I didn't know a lot of the stuff, and we just kind of riffed. And when mm. they went to the editing process, they're like, we really like their dynamic together. 
So then they edited our class together, which I, I'm a collaborative type of person anyway. So I actually loved that it was both of us together. I was like, yeah, that's great. And, and that's, you know, a really great way to, to show people perspectives. And, a, and I thought they did a great job with the class and it launched March 5th, 2020, very conveniently um, for us. It was, it was, it like launched right in the perfect time of the news cycle where everyone That's... wasn't in complete chaos yet. <laughs> yeah. But then people but, but found people masterclass. people needing to be able to make cocktails <laughs> in their home. Two, week, two <laughs> weeks later, they're like, oh yeah, you know, everyone's like, we're gonna be out of here in, you know, it's gonna be two and a half weeks. Oh, now it's three weeks. Now it's four weeks. Now we really have to cook mm -hmm. and make our own yeah. cocktails for ourselves. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. been uh, a really impactful experience. And I mean, I was very fortunate. It kept me very busy doing digital happy hours and, and events during, um, during the pandemic. So how, what, what is the, how much does it cost to sort of access this course and how long, what well, has it structured? Is there sort of different, nuggets of 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 like you know a section on like i don't know how to measure and pour or a section on you know combining ingredients what's how's it structured sure so they do a year pass that is uh 99 us dollars or you can do like a 14.99 a month um it's it's a fascinating platform i actually have taken the gardening class the gangster gardening class which is fabulous i've taken the negotiators class where they have a hostage negotiator teaching you how to negotiate, which is, I, I actually want to get him for a seminar <laughs> one of these days for our industry. I'm like, oh. we need the hostage negotiator, everybody. This is our guy. <laughs> we also had a hostage negotiator on this podcast. So uh, we kind of we have to promote that episode. Things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Promote that. Everyone's listened to it. I mean, it's, it's a, yeah. it's relevant to our industry, you know? I mean, when you're trying to diffuse situations in a bar at two in the morning with drunk people, um, you need the skills of a hostage negotiator. <laughs> <laughs> How do you get them to do, give up their desire and will for our desire and will? Um, but yeah, exactly. so you can go on there. Um, there's great cooking classes as well. It's just a great company. Like their whole philosophy, the founder, his mother, his grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. And so his theory is that education is the one thing people can't take from you. And that, that idea of learning and that access. And so that's that kind of permeates his entire um, philosophy about the company. Um, and only till recently I found out uh, mm. Christina Aguilera's uh, fiance is their main talent recruiter and he's a partner in it and she's an investor. I was like, oh, I didn't know <laughs> until we shot. I was like, oh, because mm. we did a, uh, our first in-person launch event uh, this past year at, in New York at the, the Whitney and I was like, why is Christina Aguilera performing here and this stuff? And there we go. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> got it. This is the world of Masterclass. <laughs> <laughs> you know we got to hang for I've a minute i've never actually watched any of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well and did you compare notes on your singing ability i um, did, did you, not did you, did you the think queen. about kind of like stepping up on stage <laughs> nope, nope, nope 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 i know when i'm when i'm beat <laughs> <laughs> um so i've never i've never watched any of the master classes but i have seen trailers and the quality of production looks to be like really really high you know yeah 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 and they get so the talent on there as well yes it's well like i said the talent recruiter is fantastic and and i think it's really cool just you know a i have no idea why they found why they chose me or how they decided i was the person to uh 
to be one of the first on the platform, but I was like, all right, this is great. And, uh, you know, I'm very honored and the experience is, is pretty great. I mean, I'm assuming it has something to do with my culinary background because it's the only way I can imagine that they found me was like, oh, restaurants, this person. <laughs> but but it, it was extremely um, nah, well, it's, gratifying. <laughs> it's because you're a living legend, I would say, Lynette. You're a hero. Um, have you got any further uh, tips or resources for anyone that wants to learn a little bit more about um, culinary cocktails? So a lot of these uh, techniques and, and things I'm talking about and working on cocktails that borrow from culinary and, and work in restaurant situation, um, I actually had a really wonderful opportunity to present um, at Diageo um, Bar Week uh, in March. And I did a course called Savor the Flavor, bringing a few of these techniques, things that are approachable, kind of learn uh, about some of them. And actually, it's available online at the Diageo Bar Academy. So if anyone missed it, you can go ahead and review it. So when you're when you're doing masterclass or sort of <clears throat> any of your consultancy, what what what's your sort of training style? Do you have sort of sort of first principles stuff that you go to in respect of making cocktails? Where, where do you start with bartenders? Sure. So starting with bartenders, you know, I, I my husband is a creative director. He comes from an art director background. I think the best thing I ever learned from him was about you know, each project is a, is a brand world. Um, and you need to look at what that brand world is. And, you know, especially at this time in our careers and what, everything we're doing, you'll find a lot of talent that comes with a certain skill set. Um, you know, whether they, you know, how many classics do they know, et cetera, et cetera, but you're layering on another experience for them. So I always try to do, you know, a skills test first, just to see, you know, where they're coming from, what's their school, what's their principles. Um, and, and then we start training and fixing those little details. Um, a lot for me is I will take someone with, you know, maybe they don't have all of the skill sets. You know, they haven't worked in all the classic cocktail bars. They don't know all those drinks. But if they have a really good hospitality sensibility, I will take them over anyone else. Because I think to, you know, teaching people hospitality is hard. Uh, you have to kind of have it in your soul. <laughs> and and really, we don't have just a service bar where someone like there's a lot of hotel jobs where you can just crank in one room and don't have to talk to anyone. Um, so I try to find those individuals. And then, you know, I bring that brand world, I really try to, to have them understand the culture of the space, the identity, why we're doing what we're doing, the flavors. Um, and that's how I get really inspired. It's about about that kind of um, finding a solution to something, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not Peruvian and I'm working in Peruvian restaurants, but I was able to talk with chef and understand what kind of program I wanted to put in and, and identify and be like, okay. And it's not like our, our program's not Peruvian either. So we're bringing this kind of Brooklyn, Peru sort of vibe to things. So there's a, it's a fun discovery, but for my team and, and like everyone with the pandemic, you know, some of my one restaurant, it's, had people who's been there for at least a year and a half or longer and then you know the other restaurant it's it's a lot of new people and so you're you're we're constantly right now thinking of what our training is how we um you know bring them into the fold and and how we you know encourage them lots of i think what in the near i think what most new bartenders are missing at the moment when they come into our spaces um is a lot of spirits education has I think fallen off mm. I think they've all learned how to make drinks there's plenty of access on building etc cetera, etc cetera. 
but I think the why is not there. Why are you using certain you know spirits? What do those spirits bring? How do you? Um, so I think we need to give a little bit more in that realm. So like I have my bartenders. There's a Pisco certificate course. I'm like everyone should take this because you need to understand these foundations um, before you're moving on and playing with these ingredients. Um, and then like I would. Definitely, I'm like, look at our back bar. If there's something you don't know, here's our spirits guide. Let's talk through it, and we'll bring in trainers um, and people from you know the the brands and and the distributors to come in and really deep dive with you because that's so important to know your your bar. Why do you think um, the spirits training's dropped off? I mean, I, I don't know if that's the case over here as well or not, but it certainly used to be the case that you just had brand ambassadors doing the rounds constantly, and they tended to do whole category training rather than just training mm-hmm. on their brand and that was where for most venues the spirit training came from it might be supplemented with a little bit of in-house tasting and training and that sort of stuff but the brands would kind of do all that legwork for you for free of course um yeah. do you, what, what's what's changed do you think i mean i think that might be part of it uh you know the the volume of spaces opening that need bartenders mm. um and then there's mm. not quite as much that thought process right it takes it takes work to get an ambassador to come in and talk to them and say, hey, can you do a full category training? I don't just want a brand specific, but I'm giving you the opportunity. That's a lot of, mm. I think we've lost a lot of um, managers who understood that. Um, so I think it's just kind of, we have to, mm. you know, everyone who was, and you know, we have lots of those friends in common who were doing those trainings uh, and doing them so well, uh, but they've moved on to other positions. And I think we kind of need to rebuild the brand ambassador you know, talent and and give them and, and help them kind of shape that experience because I think you know a lot of them came from just craft cocktail bars and maybe didn't have a mentor. And I, you know, when I first got into ambassador work, I had mentors there. You know, Rebecca Quinones was there every minute telling me what was going to work, what wasn't going to work. You know, and you need those people um, mentoring the ambassadors, which then they go into the accounts and then they have it. So I think it's it's kind of a a problem of staffing both, right? We have people coming from the same pool. I think people also mm-hmm. jump a lot quicker these days from from a bartender to a brand ambassador. Mm-hmm. So again, I think there's a bit of that, like you have to have lived it for a bit to understand what you need. Um, and then again, in that same way, I think, you know, because of people, you know, big cities like ours, people have left um, and gone to other smaller cities where they can take their, you know, full skill sets and, start something new in a smaller place um and have you know better quality of life in some ways so we're starting with a you know a a younger group uh who just we have to figure out what they're missing and that and i think that's it was just it actually kind of was fascinating to me that it was the the spirits knowledge that was lacking so much yeah that is interesting it's fascinating to me as well um so are you still pretty hands-on with like drink development? Are you still spending quite a lot of time working on new recipes or, you know, how, how does that work with the team? Do you outsource some of that to them and then sort of, you know, serve me something for, for approval or, uh, you know, do you have brainstorming sessions together? So, yes, we were kind of in this great point uh, right before the pandemic where I was going to really open it up to my team um, to start doing that. So, you know, just with like, live transition. I have an incredible uh, bar manager, Natasha Bermudez, and she's been with me for the past five years working at both restaurants, opening as head bartender at Lama San. She's now over both. And, you know, she really, we collaborated on the opening menu for Lama San, really talked through that. And then we kept it with she and I for a bit. Uh, and then I had another head bartender at Lama Inn for uh, 
the past year and we started working on stuff. It was just hard to get the team very to the point of like, okay, well, we need to get their spirits knowledge up and we need to get some of their, um, because once they know that, then they can build drinks. And so we were working in education and, and then of course we had a whole like staff change. So I do a lot. I last summer, I, which was kind of funny, uh, Joaquin's team came. we did a rooftop launch for the cocktail program last year um, at Llama Inn and I did a whole separate menu up there and it was inspired by the microclimates of Peru and the ingredients that are from there. And I realized that it was the first time mm. I ever did a complete menu by myself, ever. Because I always was collaborating. Every time I got into <laughs> consulting, I worked with Brian Miller. I worked yeah. with Jessica Gonzalez, formerly of The Nomad. And I always had a partner doing menus. And it was the first time I had to do a whole menu by myself because it was the pandemic. And everyone was just busy just keeping the bar together and working. And I was like, okay, I'm going to come in when you're all not here. And I'm going to do R&D. And I, and I was very proud of that menu. I was like, wow, I'm like... I still got it. That's good. <laughs> um, and it was a it was a good challenge. And it was you know it was there were points where it was really hard. And then you know I taste I did the tasting with chef and he was like wow okay this is very focused and directed. And I I like that kind of art direction of like what am I focusing on? Um, and so the past year and a half really I've been doing so much more uh, of creating new drinks and flavor profiles. And it's been really great to be there. And now I kind of. Natasha and I are talking about, okay, Lama San's ready. We've had a team that's been there. So now the next thing is letting them kind of start to take more ownership of the program and look within our, um, you know, how it works. And then we'll get the Lama in team. But the past year of supply chain has been a real issue. Um, so being able to change our menus frequently has not really been ideal because we, you know, we are focusing on Peruvian and Japanese spirits, two of the places that had some of the hardest uh COVID restrictions and shipping issues. So I would have to think of menus far in advance, be like, am I going to get green tea shochu? Is it coming? <laughs> Do I have it? Is there any in the U.S.? <laughs> Is it coming from California? So that was something where we just were constantly uh, struggling. So we kept, and then there was, you know, every every bartender, there was like the great strega uh, or something. Like it would be like, which, which, which weird thing for cocktails is missing? <laughs> that everyone and so everyone in New York would talk yeah. to each other and they'd be like do you have do you have do you have does anyone have this does anyone have an overflow of this is it not on your menu right now can I trade you something <laughs> it became a really like <laughs> bizarre and I'm like great I'm not really a classic cocktail bar I'm a restaurant I'm like yeah I have some bottles from the happiness forgets pop-up three years ago that I'm not using <laughs> let's make a trade <laughs> so it was a, a oh, interesting dear. time you miss it, miss them when you're gone, don't you? All of a sudden, you're like, "Damn, I can't get that now. I really want it, and I want to mix drinks with it." One hundred percent. And it's and it, it was, of course, it was all the the weird, obscure things that you use in like a half teaspoon <laughs> that no one could find. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um. So, is, are you using predominantly pisco on on the cocktail menu, or is yes. it a whole mixture of spirits? Well, the way we thought about bringing the category to people, so just when I originally did the first Llama Inn with um, Jessica Gonzalez, she was Death & Company. She did Nomad. She was the opening uh, head bartender at Nomad uh, for a few years. And, you know, she and I both came from classic cocktail culture and, and Chef uh, actually had worked at 11 Madison Park and we all came together and we're like, okay, well, this is 2015. No one really knows what Pisco is. No one's really using it. So we're like, let's do a lot of... You know, we'll take classic cocktail structure 
and then we'll shake it up and use uh, pisco. So like we have a drink that's been on the menu since we opened and it's it's basically um, you know a Vesper, but we use pisco instead of vodka. We use um, reposado tequila instead of gin. Uh, and now it's a whole new cocktail and it's delicious. So we're like, let's just play with combinations because the guests will see something they like and go into it. And I think that's, there's kind of an advantage to working in a, in a restaurant space that already has a something, there's a lot of learning curves. You may not know what Peruvian food is. So there's like, Mm. people are going in to learn. So I get to be a little more playful. Um, and now I can actually just put straight up pisco drinks on the menu and people love it. But I I do love this whole like split basing. So at Lama San, it's a lot of pisco with shochu, um, and then obviously Japanese whiskey, but other Japanese spirits, uh, we're really getting into the Japanese rums, which are so cool. Um, and then playing with like awamori, mm. shochu, and all these other categories. Um, and guests are very open when they come in to try something new. So it's it's a lot of fun uh, just kind of dressing up pisco drinks, putting, giving it a nice little flatmate of some spirit that's trending, and then boom, everyone tries a drink. <laughs> mm. it's, it's, um, I think the creative process has made that a bit easier when you've got a strong concept like that, sort of Peruvian, mm-hmm. Japanese and as and especially so when you know you want to impress and excite guests and you've got such a great opportunity to do that with a spirit that's not really that well known or widely consumed and you know you can then just go right well let's look at every classic cocktail let's switch out the base (laughs) ingredient for a type of pisco see what that tastes like does it need modifying in some way or other um and then of course like you say you've got the kitchen as well and you know the peruvian ingredients you can go okay cool well that that might be a good stand-in for sugar or that might be exactly. a good stand-in for citrus juice. And then, you, you, you know, it's just a playground, isn't it? It is. And, I, you know, I, I think that's the fun of, you know, that, I think it's why I love restaurant bars. I mean, my first consulting gig was for a modern Indian restaurant. Uh, and Brian Miller and I decided to do a tiki menu, which made sense <laughs> at the time. Um, but I think there's <laughs> something so much that I, I love learning from from culinary and I love that whole thing together um, and I think what's also interesting I think there was this time and I, I love seeing culinary co- influence cocktails coming back and in this new wave in a more restrained way because I think and you probably remember this time where like everyone was just putting the kitchen sink into the drinks and I'm like I don't know if this is really the way I want to enjoy this cocktail I'm kind of <laughs> chewing my cocktail and there's like things to learn from the kitchen and there's things to leave behind <laughs> it's still yeah. your beverage it's still you know has a place it still has to have acid and all the things that bring it uh to counteract the food i don't want you know to have something that's like the same texture as my food um or the same temperature as my yeah. food all those different if i've got things. to chew the cocktail something's gone wrong <laughs> but i did see i think it was like a lot of world-class judging where i was like um I think we've gone the wrong direction, but I, I love seeing how everyone's kind of corrected mm. and now we all understand it. You know, it's like when we first get toys um, in, in our industry, we're like, we're like, everything has to be this way. You're like, I don't think we all need to use, you know, agar, agar and everything. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a period, there was a period, and I, and I think to some extent, we're still kind of seeing a little bit of it where it was like, yeah. how do you just do the most outrageous thing? And, um, <laughs> you know, the taste of it is sort of secondary to the spectacle yeah. and the sort of almost the bravery of putting this ingredient <laughs> in a cocktail, you know? One hundred percent. I mean, that's where I would mean, have to say, I think, you know, Ryan and team do it brilliantly. Uh, when I was in London mm. for um, for 50 Best, uh, I tried the pig's blood cocktail. So I was like, all right. 
bring it on. Mm. I'm like, I have to try this. I'm like, you're getting me to try something very bizarre. But again, um, you know, I think there's an interesting way to play with these things. And, and yeah, we're going to push boundaries and we're going to play around. But I do agree, like, there has to be, you know, flavor and taste has to be the most important thing. And I think we've managed to drill that into everyone's brains at this point <laughs> that I'm very happy to see that shift back because it was, I was like, I don't care if my drink has 20 components is like, I, t- I touch it, it's, it, smoke comes out of it, you know, I'm like, that's great for the Instagram, but I'm not going to finish that cocktail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the, the, the worst is when, you know, you have a sort of misguided drink um, but the sort of confidence behind it that that is going to kind of impress someone and make their night and the service mm. standard slips as well because they're mm. so kind of you know deep involved in this magical cocktail they've made which contains you know I don't know wood chippings and cement <laughs> or whatever and um, and you're like okay um, I'm not getting great service and I'm getting a weird drink, like a drink that I don't like the taste yeah. of. And then it's just, you know, it's, it's a multitude of failures, isn't it? Yes. And I, and, and like I said, I, I, it's always, it's always interesting. I think you could find out like, you know, when you're from these markets that have been through everything, you know, it's like, I feel like it's definitely like, uh, London, New York, we've seen the, we've seen the, the, the shift of everything, right? It's like you can tell, I can almost tell yeah. how long cocktail culture has been in a place by mm. the styles of drinks I see on menus. You're like, oh, you guys are in yep. this phase. You'll get through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. going to pull through. It's so true. You're going to learn it's these so couple true. of things yeah. and then you're going to move right there. And yeah. if I can offer advice quicker to them when they're in that moment. But I think you see what I love is that you see them settle. So I'll, I'll say, I think Paris is a great example, right? When you go to a city, you want to understand what they're doing. You know, they don't want to see if they're coming from New York or London to someplace else. They don't want to see what they can get at home. They want to see what this market brings and what's interesting, you know, about that. So I I definitely encourage, uh, you know, um, different cities to really just bring that authentic you to the scenario. And and the global Mm. exchange is fantastic, right? We can share so much information so much quicker now. Um, so let us all have given you the mistakes, <laughs> learn from our past, <laughs> and skip over a few if you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the 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 global sort of sharing of information is great because we can sort of disseminate ideas rapidly. But I suppose there's an argument to be had that it in some ways homogenizes the cocktail experience. Like you know, you get a speakeasy bar in every city, even though. You know, you never had speakeasies in Dubai. Totally. <laughs> you totally. Know, in the nineteen twenties. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, there's there's that. We'll get there. And I and I do love because then things like world class and the finals, I think what I've loved seeing in those scenarios, um, is that they do all learn from each other at a rapid pace when they're at those global comps. So I'm really excited to see uh global world class come back together because that's what we've been missing, right? That that making mistakes with each other, like people tasting their ingredients, people doing something and being able to give the feedback. Um, you know, that last one that I was in in Berlin, I thought we had such a great time and I thought the talent was so great. And then we were, you know, people who made it to the top were from, you know, different markets, uh, Turkey and all these places where I had no idea what their scene was like. And it was so great, you know, even as a judge to learn from them and then see them all work together and build these bonds and relationships. Um, and that's what carries through. And that's how we help to um, see everyone, you know, have a real impact on on their 
with what they bring home then to their their hometown with that experience there's this like idea of like you go out you learn you bring it home and then everyone has this growth potential yeah it, it's um it's a great privilege to be able to judge it isn't it because you just get to witness all of these different cultures taking their interpretation and i think that a, a lot of because these are good bartenders you know they've obviously won their nationals and they're very aware th about the importance of being themselves although you know you obviously do get sort of themes that kind of yeah. move through you know the various competitors but a lot of the time it is about them celebrating their ingredients their bar their city their culture or whatever and so it's like you know being able to travel to all of these places and experience it you know by just being sat in one room with these expert bartenders serving you drinks it's um, we're quite lucky to do it aren't we <laughs> agreed i love it it's it it really like stuck with me I, I was doing the day and night challenge um that year um with sacapa and just the, the i mean that was orlando marzo won that year and his blew me away um the gentleman from Turkey, like I said, his was so cool and like just the flavors and just meeting, you know, his, just his energy. I was like, wow, what you bring to it is so great. And it was just a, it was just really a, a fantastic experience. And I, and I love those too. Like any of those challenges where they juxtapose something gives you a lot of insight into what the market's like, who the bartender is, what they're, what they're doing. And I just thought it was such a, it's it was it stuck with me through you know through this period of quarantine and now you know we then we all have relationship we follow them on instagram and see what they're doing you kind of see them kind of their how they're how they've grown what they're doing and it's it's really awesome to see what do you think sets apart the best from the nearly the best what is it you look for in the comp i mean we've got score sheets to work from obviously but what is it yeah. for you personally that you really look for and that makes someone stand out I mean, obviously flavor. So, and what's great is you see the flavor has definitely, everyone has taken that note in the last few years. I think we've all, you know, belabored the point. Make sure it tastes good first, then add your bells and whistles, please. Um, I think it's more of, you know, how they connect. I think I'm always really looking for that hospitality line that goes through it. Um, how they're, how they're presenting, how they're bringing it to you. And, you know, even if someone's a little nervous, you, they get through it and you can see their joy and their love of what they're doing. And I just love seeing that passion come through, uh, how they tell the story. And then when they deliver that, uh, cocktail and experience, um, it's really about bringing that all together, um, that I think sets everyone apart because you're to your point, it's, this is the top, they're all the top competitors in the world. They've been top of their market. Uh, so it's that next level of kind of star quality <laughs> that you're looking for um, in somebody and their confidence star in what they quality, serve. And yeah. yeah, you know, it's just a little touch of star quality and it's there. You find it. <laughs> and uh, it's it's really just uh, just really great to see that. Um, just going back to Pisco, because um, yeah. I was going to say, I, I consider myself reasonably well versed with spirits and have been to a lot of distilleries, but I know virtually nothing about Pisco and I have hardly really ever tasted many Piscos, probably no more than five different oh, wow. ones in my whole life. So, and, and I, I'm probably not alone with that either. Um, so maybe a, a quick primer on Pisco and what makes it so, cause I always, I know people, people who know Pisco always seem to have really good things to say about it. 
Yeah, I think so. When I said why not beer, I think you have to come at approach of you know it's really about the grapes. It's really about um, that expression of the grapes and how they come through in this distillate, uh, and that's when you kind of get advanced, right? So I think most people, most markets, what you're usually exposed to is the starter. It's quebranta. Um, you're getting that. You're getting um, an acholado, which is a mixed um, a mixed of grapes that go through. So. I think those are the first things people get, and it and I kind of feel like it's in a lot of ways kind of how um, a lot of in a lot of ways a lot of the Japanese ingredients it's just they're not exported, and this actually I guess our whole history of kind of cocktails and and how um, it came through was that you know if people aren't using the ingredients they don't get shipped into different markets you know so you don't get them and we're all looking for like those crazy esoteric amari and things to make all the cocktails and things in you know jerry thomas's book it was all about um you know access and so luckily a lot of those things started getting imported to the u.s and other markets because we're like oh we need this stuff um but it's it's really i mean it's 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 made from this so two different types of grapes so you have non-aromatic and then you have aromatic so um the ones you probably don't hear about are abelia you very rarely see that uh italia you might see some of that muscatel torrentel and then the non-aromatic grapes are mollar which you never see by itself negra criollo quebranta and uvina so quebranta is the one that most people see um i personally love italias and uh, muscatel and torrentels because they are very floral and aromatic but you'll have in an acholado it'll be a mix usually it's like a quebranta maybe some of those other non-aromatic grapes and then with partnered with some of the more floral grapes and so there's a beautiful blending to it um uh, it has to be a distilled to proof so there's no water added to it uh so that uh is oh. how peru's standards are um if you are getting it uh, getting a product that labels it as Pisco from Chile, they will add water to it. Um, so, uh, mm. are they, they, and they can also age it in oak. In Peru, you, bottle aging is very popular. And one of the most, um, there's uh, Pepe Mosqueada, uh, who has like the most information about Pisco. He is incredible. He has a winery. He makes fantastic wines. Um, but he believes in aging Pisco either in steel tanks or bottle for six years before you have it. So it still gets aged. It has time. Does it change much then Um, in the bottle? It does. There's like an elegance. So actually this past summer, we actually started to do, you know, I reached out to brands. I'm like, do you have any of your bottles from, so now I have a couple of, of, um, tiers. So I have like one brand where I have their current, those, it's their 20, I think it's their 2019. I have their 2017 and their 2011. And you can taste through and you're like, wow, subtle differences, mm. how the grapes kind of just, you know, um, rest and settle. And it's it's just a really, it's a fascinating category. Um, but, it, it, you know, I, I what I like about it is that it does have, you know, the way I link it for people is like, think of it like gin. You know, there's aromatics to it. There's going to be different um, flavors that come through. You know, your muscatel, I kind of get mango and tropical fruit uh the italia i get high floral notes jasmine rose and there's so many it's just such a fascinating category and then you might see ones that say mosto verde and mosto verde means the green must so what they're doing in the fermentation process there is actually leaving the green stems um as well in there um Mm. while they're to fermenting and then um 
put it through distillation. So, so there's a little bit of like a little sugar left uh, in in the Mosto Verdes um, as they go through the distilling process. So, it's really it's really fascinating. It's a it's a really deep category. There is a really fantastic. I'll make sure you get a link to learning um, about Pisco. There's a Pisco certificate. It's free online, uh, and you can like learn through all of it. There's one episode mm. completely in Spanish by the gentleman I named earlier. So if you're also trying to learn Spanish, uh, there are subtitles, but it will. Uh, it's really <laughs> really fascinating, um, and so it's I'm a great category. Learning Spanish and Pisco at the same time yeah. might be asking a bit much. <laughs> but I. But especially with people like I highly encourage people like when travel picks up peru is a beautiful place to go um lima has some of the best restaurants in the world i mean i think they pretty much dominated the lot um um 50 best uh list for 50, 50 restaurants yeah. uh-huh. and you can go you can be in, in lima and then um where where the pisco made the the mala valley is not far away nice what's the uh, what's the history behind the whole japanese Peruvian kind of fusion thing. Is there a history connection between the two countries? Why do you, because you see a lot of these restaurants, well, not a lot, but a few restaurants when it's combined the two. So that is called Nikkei. Um, and that is what the people in Peru are called. They're called Nikkei. And so it comes from a time where, um, I think it was the Sakura boats and that came through. Um, so basically they're, you know, you had kind of railroad culture happening down in South America, and that brought the Chinese in. Um, so mm. there were there were Chinese workers who were doing railroads. Then there was a big uh, immigration from Japan to Peru because they're you know from coast to coast there. Um, and when mm. when the Japanese came, you had this idea of them taking you know using the ingredients in Peru. Um, so they were taking the rice that the Chinese were growing and making to make their traditional dishes. Um, but then, you know, showing actually, uh, this is where you get, um, a version of, of, so there's ceviches, which is a certain kind of cut, but then there's tiritos, which are more of a slat, uh, a, a flat, like sashimi like cut, but with all the beautiful flavors mm-hmm. and aromatics that you would get in a ceviche that came from the influence of, of the Japanese on how to work with fish. So you have this kind of beautiful natural culture. And then now you have families that are, you know, culturally, it's Peruvian Japanese. You know, they, you'll see there, you know, our sous chef is Sergio Nakayoshi and he is full on Nikkei. You know, he's Peruvian, he's Japanese. And you have this, this cultural, um, you know, cuisine and there's a whole group of people from that culture and it's, and it's pretty cool. So you'll see a lot of like the traditional dishes that have influence from both, um, and, and it's just a, and it's become Peruvian cuisine from that, but that's that specific. So chifa would be the Chinese influence in, in Peru. So you'd see things like, you know, a lot of things like soy sauces being used and all of that. And that came from the immigration over. Um, mm. So outside of Lima, the largest Japanese population or outside of Peru, the largest uh, Japanese population is actually in Brazil um, in South America. So it's, it's a really fascinating and it makes a beautiful cuisine. Yeah, I have a Brazilian <laughs> Japanese friend yeah, who lives yeah. in Tokyo. But um, you're making me really hungry, so we're going to have to finish <laughs> this thing up because I need to go and find some, I don't know, like ceviche or something. Cool, Lynette, that's been a wonderful conversation. I've very much enjoyed having you on. Um, thank you. Me too. It's been really nice to reconnect. <laughs> yeah. Like the last long time we've had this much time was literally at a bar in Berlin. <laughs> it was the last time we had an hour to talk. Yeah, to <laughs> I know. I know, I know. But it's cool because I get to ask you questions that would be yes. a bit awkward at a dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. 
<laughs> so tell me about your career so far. Like, as you just like <laughs> digging into your oh, uh, hold on a second. <laughs> we need another Negroni for that conversation, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, I'll see you at Tales of the Cocktail um, and, uh, or London Cocktail Week or whatever. Yeah, Both. cool. Thanks a lot, and thanks everyone for listening. It's the year of going to things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, all of it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. If you did, why not share it with someone else who might like it too? And if you haven't already, make sure you become a Diageo Bar Academy member. Head over to diageobaracademy.com for the latest industry news, events, and inspiration. And subscribe to get it emailed to you. I will see you here next time.